Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is why ELCA Lutheran? Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zensalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so it's no secret for anybody who's been listening to this podcast for any amount of time that neither of us grew up as cradle Lutherans. True. So I grew up Catholic, and you? I grew up outside of the church altogether, outside of the Christian church and outside of really religion. I think my household was Christian-based. Yeah. My family of origin is strongly Christian, but... My family of origin did not attend any church or go to church at all. And my family of origin, like my parents' families, had believers' baptism. So we were not baptized as infants. Hmm. So we didn't grow up with any religious background. Man, like the kid in me is still jealous that you didn't have to get up at six or seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and go to church because that sounded awesome when I was a kid. Deeply, deeply jealous. Now, does this mean that you didn't have any of the other things that go along with it? Like, I'm guessing you still put up a Christmas tree? We did. Okay. But they were all secularized. Yeah. It was very much Santa Claus and Easter Bunny kind of stuff. Exactly. They were all part of a secular tradition. So Santa Claus with the Christmas tree, the ornaments were ornaments with reindeer and things Mm -hmm. like that. Easter was about the Easter bunny and the Easter eggs and the Easter baskets. It was that kind of a thing. And those were really the holidays that we did when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. That brings us then to our topic. When and why? did you choose to be a Lutheran? And specifically here, we're talking ELCA, because let's be honest, there are a couple of different flavors, and I want to know why this one specifically. I ended up going to an ELCA Lutheran university. Okay, just because? Well, I think because God. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But also because they had a really good financial aid package. Sure. And I had gone to the state speech competitions on their campus a couple of times. And so I was familiar with the campus and it was really beautiful. And they had a really strong language program. Okay. When I was going to undergrad, my plan was to be a French major and to pick up as many other languages as I could and to become a translator of some kind. Oh, okay. And so they had a wonderful program that required study abroad Mm -hmm. in order to graduate with that as a major. And so I figured that it would be a program that would definitely help get me abroad. Mm -hmm. And so that was what got me there. And they courted me, honestly. Yeah. They were one of the schools that I had thrown them out just as much as any other religious school. All of the religious schools that sent me materials, I threw away. But Susquehanna University, which is one of the small Lutheran schools in Pennsylvania, had sent materials and 
they contacted me as a potential student and they courted me with financial aid and other pieces and grants and those kinds of things. And it got to a point where I just couldn't refuse. Nice. The amount of money they were able to give as a student, I had a single mom and my dad had support, but I was with my single mom and she made at the time three or $4,000 less per year than the annual tuition. Mm -hmm. And I know it's gone up since then, Mm -hmm. but they were able to supply a lot of financial aid for me. Nice. And I couldn't refuse. So that's why I went to a Lutheran school. I wanted nothing to do with the religion part of it. And they didn't require you to participate in any other religion part of it Mm -hmm. until I got into the choir. And then I had to sing at the chapel. Now, this doesn't surprise me because anybody with any sort of passing understanding of small religious schools, they usually have a pretty good music program. Yes, absolutely. And so I ended up singing with the choir for chapel. And that's how I ended up hearing the theology of the school and hearing the theology of the ELCA Lutherans and experiencing the worship service of the ELCA Lutherans. And that's where they caught me. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. I'm impressed that you actually listened as a college kid because the few times (laughs) that I went in college, pretty much zoned out. (laughs) (laughs) He was a really good preacher. Chaplain Radicke was really good. That's excellent. Okay. So what is it about the theology then that really hooked you and called you at that time? I think it's the same thing that hooks me and calls me now. Please don't tell me it was the parables. Please don't tell me it was the mustard seed story. (laughs) (laughs) No, it really wasn't. Okay. No, it really, really wasn't. It was the grace. Yeah. It was the sense of God loves you and you are set free to love others. And that concept of being set free to love other people and to serve the world around you, that concept of not having to work to be loved, but being loved so that you can do. I think that that fundamental shift of not having to earn the love, but being gifted the love made such a substantial impact on how I understood God and how I understood love and how I understood so much that that was the piece that really reached into my heart at 19 years old, trying to figure out who I was and how to be in the world and how to be in love and how to love the world and how to love other people and all of those different pieces at that time. And that concept made it such that I wanted to be a part. I wanted that. I wanted to know that I was loved. I wanted to know that there was nothing I could do to earn that love, but there was nothing I could do that would take that love away from me. And that I didn't have to worry about other people either, that they were loved and there was nothing that could take it away from them. And that The point of it all was to help each other know that information and to live into that then and the freedom that comes from that knowledge. That piece 
of the theology of this particular denomination and this particular flavor of Christianity, that piece is what I think at the end of the day is what called me to it and probably is what still keeps me in it to this day. When you started going and started listening, did it make you sort of seek out other religions and see what else is out there or even go to church when you weren't at school? Not for the first year or so. Like as a kid, we had gone to a couple other different churches or growing up, there had been times where friends might've taken me to church or we would go visit my family and might go to church with a grandmother. And in my family, there are so many different denominations that are represented. We've talked about this in other podcasts. Mm -hmm. There's Roman Catholic, there's Russian Orthodox, there's Seventh-day Adventist, there's Church of Christ. We just run the gamut in all kinds of individuals and denominations with my family. So I've had different flavors of all different kinds of religions and denominations. So I think when I went to college, I didn't explore a ton outside of college until once I was really getting serious about maybe being baptized Mm -hmm. my sophomore year. Then when I would go home on breaks, I was looking for an ELCA Lutheran church in my hometown to belong to. Mm -hmm. And in Pennsylvania, much like the Midwest, you can throw a rock and hit a Lutheran church. Mm -hmm. Or two. Mm -hmm. Or three, Mm -hmm. right? They're just everywhere. In my tiny little town of 5,000 people, I think that there were three ELCA Lutheran churches. Mm -hmm. So I visited them all. Nice. And at what point did you decide, not only do I want to be Lutheran, I want to be an ELCA pastor? (laughs) Not until after I was in seminary. Oh, really? Yeah. So I thought maybe to be a pastor while I was in my fourth year, my senior year of college, but I was gently tucked out of that by the chaplain, who at the time was already sounding the alarms about student debt. Oh, sure. For pastors and the amount of debt that clergy were beginning to accrue as the debt crisis was beginning. Yeah, because this may be a spoiler to some, but it's not the highest paying job out there. Right. Uh (laughs) Right. And they were beginning to try and find some kind of ways to alleviate the crisis. But for those who began to attend seminary kind of in the late mid-90s through about 2010, there wasn't nearly the same amount of assistance. Mm -hmm. The fund for leaders wasn't nearly as robust as it is now. So there were very, very few individuals who are getting the kind of full ride scholarships that the ELCA is able to provide now. And so there are a lot of us from those like 15 years who just have triple digit debt loads. Wow. And it is a lot. Mm -hmm. And so not only the chaplain, but the pastor in my hometown that where I had joined the congregation, they both sounded the alarm on the amount of debt that pastors were heading into. 
And so I listened to them and I was not going to be a pastor, but I went to seminary for other reasons. Mm -hmm. And while I was in seminary, I tossed caution to the wind and I moved over to the um, Masters of Divinity track to become a pastor. Nice. Okay. So you're in seminary and you're in a seminary that happens to have available to it other religions and other faiths that you can mm-hmm. learn from and explore at any time were you like, I don't know about this ELCA thing because this thing over here looks like it's got some interesting concepts. Actually, all of my opportunities, and I find this really fascinating about myself for good or for ill, all of the opportunities that I have had to study and explore and work with folks in other denominations and other religions solidified my understanding that I am an ELCA Lutheran. Yeah. Yeah. So for example, I would go and I would take a class from SFTS, which is the San Francisco Theological Seminary. Mm -hmm. That is the Presbyterian Seminary. And I took maybe three classes from SFTS over my years there. And they would bring things up and they would talk about particular pieces And by the time I got into my third class, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely not Presbyterian. Yeah. I admire that. And I admire you, the whole predestination thing you've got going on. And I see how that works for you. It is so not something that I believe in. Oh, that's fascinating. But I'm glad it works for you. Mm -hmm. And we are full communion partners and we can do awesome things together. But that is so not a theology that I could preach on a regular basis. That's fascinating. I think the bar, having grown up Catholic, for all the things that annoyed me about the Catholic faith, I could have picked any (laughs) number of other things and been just fine. (laughs) And it was the same with the Methodists. Like, I've studied, my doctoral work was with primarily a Methodist crew. Yeah. And there are many things that I can admire. But it's not, nope, can't go there. That's funny. There are base things that I can't dig into. My soul does not rest there. I'd say probably the Episcopalians are the closest I can get to. But at the end of the day, I'm not even so comfortable there because, and this is terrible, because they use so many smells and bells. Uh Uh-huh. And my allergies go nuts and I can't breathe. Oh, that's fascinating. That was going to be the compromise between the Catholic upbringing I had and the ELCA of my husband and his family. I was going to be like, well, we could be Episcopalian because it seems like some nice middle ground for everybody. Yep. Similar number of sacraments. Yep. Liturgy is similar. Yep. There's enough of the mm-hmm. smells of bells that everybody on the Catholic side is going to feel pretty comfortable. Yep. The theology is close enough mm-hmm. that the Lutherans can handle it. We're in full communion partnership. Mm -hmm. Things are good. Like you can really find a good middle ground in the Episcopalian church. But yeah, they pull out the incense just a little bit too much for my (laughs) asthma to be able to handle it. (laughs) Makes perfect sense to me. (laughs) Okay, so this far into your ministry, you still, I'm thinking pretty solid with your choice. There's been no crisis of faith. Nothing has come up where you're like, oh, I know, maybe, maybe I should revisit this Episcopalian idea. Incense or no? 
I think that it would be unfair for anyone to say that they've never had a crisis of faith in any number of years. So I was baptized in 1997. Mm -hmm. Whoa. December 14th, 1998, not 97. And I have been a professional studying Christian since the year 2000. Mm -hmm. So 22 years that I have been doing this since I began seminary and then ordained since 2005. It is not that I have had a crisis of faith around my faith and belief in God or Christ or any of those pieces. I would say that to live in the year 2022 and to look at any denomination and to not wonder and question it and to doubt would probably not be an honest statement. Mm -hmm. That's fair. There have certainly been moments when I have poked and prodded and questioned and wondered and prayed and had that deep wondering about our denomination, about the future of Christendom, about organized religion and the church in the 21st century and how it will be going forward and where it is going and what is the ELCA doing and what are our choices and where are we choosing to spend our time and our resources and our money and our energy and our prayers and how are we doing these things? And it's not about our theology that my crisis of faith comes. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, always a fascinating question because it, in some ways, one of the challenges I had as someone who is a, an ELCA Lutheran by theological choice and not by cultural choice, mm -hmm. I didn't grow up with it as my culture and therefore it's my cultural expectation. It has always been my theological choice. The cultural expectation of this denomination, I think there are some pieces of it that need reformation and have needed reformation for some time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's becoming more and more obvious and more and more painful for all of our denomination as the years go forward. And so I don't know what will happen as the years go forward to the ELCA. I don't know that it's going to dissolve or fall apart or any of those things, mm -hmm. but it is definitely a time of tumult. And I will not pretend to not be just as much impacted by that as anyone else who's watching and paying attention. Well, I think if you stop questioning and looking at ways to grow and gain better understanding of things, that's as dangerous as any other path, right? Because you're never mm -hmm. going to experience any growth or change if you don't do that. Mm -hmm. What did your family think when you decided to become Lutheran? Were they like, that's nice, honey? Or were they like, what, what is this? And tell me why it's interesting to you. Much more the second one. Yeah. And for some, it was a great heartbreak. Yeah. Especially for those for whom 
many in my family for whom women should not be ordained. Oh, interesting. For my father, it was one of the few times I've ever seen him cry. And I think it was because mm -hmm. he has such deep Catholic beliefs. It was hard mm -hmm. for him to see somebody reject that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And that's just a truth. That is a truth. It is not a bad thing. It is just a true thing. We wrap that into the stories of our families and we continue to love one another and we continue to find our way forward. And that is okay. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. If you could change one thing, big or small, about the ELCA, got a magic wand, mm -hmm. what would you do? Because there's much to love about the ELCA, but as we've all understood, nothing is perfect. There are many things that I think can be changed, but one of the pieces that I think has a theological basis that could be a shift that would significantly help our denomination and would have beautiful theological ramifications within our denomination mm -hmm. is to detether presiding at the table to the ordination of word and sacrament. Okay. For those of us who may be confused, presiding at the table means... The words of an institution. The individual who reads the words of institution and blesses the meal. Okay. And to fully understand the priesthood of all believers and to embrace that concept enough that we believe that our community and our communities of faith and our families of faith can share that table blessing and can therefore share that meal with one another, whether or not there is someone who has had the privilege and the ability to take on triple digit debt in order to have the education and the privilege to be ordained as a word and sacrament minister, to stop using the table as a way of having those of us with this privilege have this peace that we hold above others. The table is God's table. And I think that if we truly believe that we are a priesthood of all believers, if we truly believe that this is God's table, that that is something we could open. And frankly, I feel that more damage can be done from sharing the pulpit too freely with those who don't have enough skill and guidelines about how to preach and preach safely than those who don't truly, because how can any of us truly ever understand the mystery of the sacrament of communion? But if we can read the words of institution and hold that space holy and share the meal with one another, then having that meal, our small gatherings and communities who don't have the capacity to afford a rostered leader, to afford to have the kind of access to those things, can still gather and receive the sacrament. And I think that that change, that shift, that access to having, having access to the sacraments, I think is so critical. And I think we would do well to consider decoupling it from the privilege of education. That one is going to be interesting to watch, knowing the 
shortage, quote unquote, that is happening of rostered leaders who can actually do that. Seems like something is going to have to give somewhere down the line. And it may or it may not. Mm -hmm. People like to hold on to their traditions and ideas, no matter how good or bad they may be. And people like to hold on to power. True. And people like to hold on to prestige. That is the world we're living in, all right. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about why you decided to become a Lutheran. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. Until we are back in your ears again, we give you thanks for listening. We would love to hear back from you. You can reach out to us at podcast at centralportland.org. Remember, God loves you no matter what. <laughs>